outside Outside the nine to five Make the cloud rise How the money just multiply On the outside Outside the nine to five Long as I strive Success finna multiply On the outside With us today, taken right from his Instagram. So, Kev, plagiarism is in effect here. Husband, Ironman coach and writer, coaching a tribe of beginner triathletes to become Ironman and and a former corporate drone. I took the company name out of there, Dreyer, turned internet (laughs) entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Ryan Dreyer. Oh yeah. <laughs> clap it up. Clap it up. Wow. Awesome. I haven't had a, I haven't had somebody rip right from the bio. I've been tweaking those. Uh, I love playing with my bios. So, uh, and I'm feeling good about that one these days. So I'll take that. Well, nice. you changed it, man. When we had the original show like date, I had your old one on there and I looked this morning just to like feel like I was in tune with what you had going on. And I was like, damn it. He changed it, bro. Um, so no, I like this one as well too. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm always kind of tinkering that with that kind of stuff. I really think about changing my bio. I use Twitter a little bit more than Instagram, but I try to make them at least somewhat aligned. Um, but yeah, there are a couple of different like formulas that you can play with and depends on what you're trying to get out of using your social. But um, it's something that I, I definitely enjoy and it helps me kind of like associate with where I'm headed. For sure. I mean, it, it's definitely like a tagline to, to who, your identity, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, I I 100% resonate with that, but um, we appreciate you being on the show, man. It's like amazing to see, (laughs) like, do you remember where we met? Like in the time of our life for me, it's like amazing to watch your journey from the sidelines, almost breathtaking, bro. Like I, if I could give you an award for most changed, I think I would give it to you from the people I know from college. Um, And it's interesting. I know you're doing some amazing stuff today and I want to get into that, but I do kind of want to go back to your past because I feel like it gives a lot of context to what motivates and pushes you today. So like, can you help me understand and maybe give context to the person you were back in the day and like um, what shaped your decisions in that period of your life? I know that's a very broad question, but I feel like it does help people understand and it would even help me understand like what motivates you so intensely today. Yeah. So like what specifically like in college and stuff is that that's where we met, right? Correct. Yeah. We met in college, same fraternity. There you go. Yeah. I'm always like, I don't know. There's a couple of people that I've been connected with through Adam and I always kind of forget like, were they in Seikai? Were they just like friends of Adam's that I was connected to otherwise? So um, yeah, but give me a little bit of direction. Like where do you want me to exactly check in on or start? Okay. So I, I mean, I remember senior year for you as being a very troublesome time, just internal dialogue, right? There was a lot of things going on that I would say objectively were pretty negative, like uh-huh. for, for you and challenging. So I don't want to be the one to kind of relate on here what I heard. I'd like to hear your perspective on that situation um, in college, senior year, right? And then like maybe how that really, I, I saw it as a traumatic experience for you shaped kind of the next eight years for you where it's like you're on this fucking growth trajectory, going dude steamrolling forward (laughs) yeah so i guess like to lay the scene like i'll probably take it a little bit back before college sure um and probably just start with like some of the things that i recognize from my childhood now so um i was always like in the sports group and kind of in like the popular group of kids but i did not have a lot of confidence in myself when i was younger and a lot of my identity was really tied to what other people thought of me And I think that that stemmed from the fact that like, 
I had a lot of chaos in my home growing up. My dad was super hard on me and it was sort of just like, I never felt like I could do enough or be enough. And I never really felt confident enough to really pursue like things that mattered to me. Um, and I think that like when I got to college, getting into a fraternity was the first time that like, I felt like I could be accepted like as who I was. And I felt that I could be I'm trying to think about the right kind of way to phrase it. Um, I just felt like I basically got in with the cool kids for the most part. Like when I got for into sure. Sig Chi and the fraternity, like, you know, when I was in high school, like I had a couple of close friends and like I was in that popular group, but I definitely was more like in the popular group when I was in elementary and middle school. And then like, as I kind of evolved through high school, I found myself a little bit on the outside of like the circle of friends that I felt I had been with for most of my life. Um, I definitely had like three, four or five, even, you know, plenty more actually like really close friends. But in terms of like that circle of like popular people, I did not really feel like I was fully accepted. So getting into Sig Chi in college, getting into a fraternity, like immediately put me on like the team of all of the cool kids. Right. And there were a ton of benefits from that. Right. Like I found a lot of leadership positions in the fraternity and that was like my thing. Um, when I said a minute ago that I didn't really have like the courage to pursue my own interests. Um, I think that when I relate that to college, like I totally pair that right to like my major and what I was studying. Like I was forced to go down the path of business. And I was interested in business, like I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I did not have like the freedom to like, I wanted to be an English major at one point. And I had interest in being a nutrition major at one point. And like my family dynamics just didn't really allow me to do that. So I was like, sort of put down this path. And then I don't know, like having that all stuff happen in like, quote, like the professional side of life. I was a little bit like just clouded there. And then so getting into the fraternity and being in with like the group of cool people allowed me to just like, I don't know, feel confident in myself, right? Like it's your fraternity versus the rest of them, right? So I felt like I was on a team. Um, and then I think that I also had like some really negative tendencies that started to rise through college and through up towards my senior year. Um, so like, I've always been the kind, I think that some dating back, I don't really have like the exact <laughs> string of consciousness through this story. I'm kind of just thinking out loud. But no, like, it's good. It's good. Keep going. As, as I'm thinking about, um, you know, me not having a lot of confidence in myself in some areas, um, I think that that translated into me always being willing to be the person that like would do the wild thing that would get a rise out of people and have people laugh and I'd be the kind of person who like, I wouldn't be afraid to go steal the fraternity's couch from the fraternity next door, like that kind of stuff, like always kind of willing to go a little bit wild, um, always willing to take it a step further than most people would go to kind of be like, you know, now I think about it almost as like a, a jester in a way, like, mm. you know, kind of making a mockery of stuff. Um, yeah, but that guy, that jester in college, especially in a fraternity is like the coveted position, right? They're the person that everybody loves. Exactly. Exactly. So like through, uh, you know, I, I pledged my fraternity in the spring of my freshman year um, and I was insanely involved you know, through my sophomore and junior years. Um, and I didn't really run into a lot of trouble with it. Like it seemed pretty 
fine, right? Um, like I was definitely well liked within the fraternity. Like I said, I had a ton of different positions. I was elected, I was voted. Um, so I was in very, very good standing. Um, but I think that um, there was kind of one moment where things started to take a little bit of a turn. And that was on spring break of my junior year. Um, I was a junior, I went on the spring break uh, that most of the seniors went on, there were a few junior guys. The real reason that I went is because my girlfriend at the time, now wife Chelsea, she was a senior and she was going, I was like, I got to go to spring break, she's going to spring break. I can't leave her there. <laughs> <laughs> and like on the I think it was the first day, honestly, like I just got so hammered in the hotel room and I ended up throwing a chair off of the balcony of our oh. hotel room. And it supposedly almost hit like a maid who was walking down below. And so I got kicked out of the hotel. And that was just like kind of a, a huge freak out moment because like my family, I, my, my family dynamics were kind of breaking down at the time. Um, I didn't even really tell my mom I was going on spring break until like a couple of days before. Um, and then all of a sudden I was basically stranded in Mexico and I needed to use my girlfriend's credit card to like get a second hotel. And all of a sudden, I guess to say shortly after that, when we got back was the vice president election in the fraternity. And in my opinion, I was definitely on a trajectory where like, I don't think, I think that if I didn't really fuck that up, I might've been elected into that position, but I wasn't elected. And I think that that was the first time that I ran for something where I didn't get voted in. And that just like hit my ego a good bit. Um, and that was just kind of like an indication point. And unfortunately that didn't really like change the direction of kind of the audacity and kind of the crazy shit that I was getting into. Um, I guess, you know, working through ultimately like my senior year, then the big thing for me was that I got kicked out. Of, I got kicked out of the fraternity. <laughs> so that was like the big crux moment. Um, and like in my mind, I tried to pretend like it wasn't a big deal, but like it destroyed me. <laughs> like I thought that I had a hundred friends and all of a sudden I thought, I, I felt like I had like 98 enemies and this was like really close to the end of my senior year. Like there was about a month left, um, over that entire previous year, I had put on a ton of weight. Um, I had gained about 50 pounds in a year. I wasn't anywhere close to graduating. So I'm kind of picking it back a couple of things. So I, I was with this struggle with what I was studying. I never did well in college. I, I was consistently failing at least a class a semester. Even me just going back to school each fall was like a big deal with my family. Like my family didn't really want me to go, but like, I was basically like, I don't want to be around here. I need to go. And I'd always sort of figure out getting back. Um, and then, so I was basically a month from the end of my senior year and I was just kicked out of my fraternity and I was still at least 30 credits from graduating. And I was kind of just like, my life has zero direction right now. Like tough, I have no idea who I can rely on outside of, you know, the close couple of guys that I knew were like my homies. Um, I had no like professional prospects and really like the only thing that was holding me together was the fact that I was dating Chelsea. I was dating my now wife. Um, and so that was like the big like crux moment in my life that was like my personal rock bottom um and so yeah i guess you know when i'm talking about where like i've come from like that is 100 percent like the root 
I guess, like depths of despair that I feel like I've had to come out of. I, I appreciate you sharing that story. Something that resonates with me and maybe, <clears throat> I don't know, Kev, if you've, you've had this experience, but for me, I know drinking was a way, like when I did stupid shit, when I was drinking in college, that was a way for me to like alleviate a lot of the pain. Right. So when I did dumb stuff or I said dumb stuff or I was loud, yeah, like whatever it was, I know drinking for me allowed that period where I could just like let out all that anger or dump like shit I had rolling around in my head that I couldn't healthily distribute or get rid of. So I don't know if you felt some of that, but that is kind of what I resonated with. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I definitely, I definitely resonate with the family chaos aspect of it. I mean, you're, you're dealing with, you know, the one area it sounds like you're confident in immediately gets wiped away. Right. And so you have no confidence in anything that you're doing in life and possibly the most like turbulent time, like most important time for development, I guess you could say as like a young adult, right? Like you're those last few years of college, if you're going to college, if the last few years of college, like typically sends people in a certain tra- trajectory, whether it be positive or negative. And so I can totally, I totally resonate with the, the fact that I can only imagine having, you know, that wiped clean and not having that stability, like a a piece of stability in your life. It sounds like you found that stability through your, through your girlfriend at the time and your now wife. Mm -hmm. But what I'm interested in is, so you hit that rock bottom. Where did you go from there to kind of get to where you are today? You know, what was, what was the first step? What was the first thought um, that started this line of growth that you're currently on? Yeah. So I, there wasn't like one, I, I don't, I don't have like a day where it's like, I know that I looked myself in the mirror and I said, this is it. Right. But that summer was huge for me. Um, I stayed at Penn state that summer and I lived with Adam Holtz, our buddy, Adam Colton knows him. I think you know him as well. Yeah, he, was on, he was on, he was on here. Yeah. I listened to it. Um, so I lived with Adam and uh, basically like the, so I'm really big on environments now. And I'm really big on like, if you just put yourself into the right environment, like shit is going to happen the way that you want it to based on what you subject yourself to. So in the fraternity environment, I was constantly around, you know, and I, I, I'm not like saying that I I wasn't going to be doing this stuff regardless, but like Mm -hmm. I was constantly around drinking. I was constantly around like, you know, big time masculine energy of who can kind of one up the other, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody left from the end of the senior year and I stayed at Penn State and I lived with Adam. It was just the two of us. I took two summer classes. I had always had a job through college, but I was constantly quitting and getting new jobs. I held a job for the whole summer. Um, I took two classes. I don't know if I just said that. Um, And I was in the gym like every day. So I had an 8 a.m. math class that I had to take. Um, and I was in the gym before that every single day. And then just living with Adam allowed me to eat cleaner on a regular basis and just like ultimately make better decisions. Like, I don't think that I didn't, I think that I still had, I definitely still drank that summer. Um, I didn't really ever get into not drinking until like super recently, relatively. Um, but like for the most part, there was stability in my life that summer and that set me up to just like change the way that I was living or the types of decisions that I was making overall. So that summer was massive. And then I stayed at Penn State. I had I needed a ninth semester and then I needed a couple of years of online classes, but I lived at Penn State in the fall, um, lived with two buddies, Oz and Trey. 
we were there, you know, ninth semester. So we were living way off camp, way off campus. Um, we were living in like a condo, you know, upscale from, you know, traditional senior class living. Um, and that allowed me to, to be a little bit more routine and regimented as well. Um, and then right after that fall semester, I chased Chelsea down to Nashville. Um, she was a year older than me. So she had been working for a year in Boston, kind of randomly got a job in Nashville. And I moved in January as soon as I finished that fall semester. And like that was huge for me because between like the bad decisions that I was making in college, I didn't really feel, you know, there was no reason for me to continue to be at Penn State. But I also didn't really feel like it's not like I didn't feel welcomed back in the Philly area where I lived. But like I had some really, really heavy family things going on at the time. And it just wasn't a place that I wanted to be. Um, like I, I don't, I, I do, I have an estranged relationship with my dad and that was kind of like in the early stages of things going that direction. Uh, the first couple of years of that, um, uh, my relationship with my mom, while it was fine and I was still at home, my mom kind of just like avoids conflict and I had a ton of conflict going on. So like there was just this unspoken energy where it was just like, I am not as a person, Ryan, in on a trajectory that I that I can be that I'm capable of, like, I'm I've made all of these silly decisions. And I've made all these mistakes. And like, I'm just a lot better than this. And mentally, like I talk about how I felt like I had, you know, 98 enemies or whatever from the fraternity, even living back in Philly was still a little bit too close to Penn State, like, there were plenty of guys that they weren't they wouldn't be living at Penn State, but they'd be living in Philly. They'd be living in New York City, you know, very much East Coast cities. And I felt like if I lived in that area, I just would not have been set up for success. So getting to Nashville was massive for me. Um, I worked my absolute ass off when I got there. I had an unpaid internship that I worked 40 hours a week at. I was driving Lyft uh, on the side. I was valeting on the side. Um, my mom was paying my rent like I was making no money, um, but I was just trying everything I could to to make something of myself and to just start to build some positive momentum that really all started back in that summer that I had a good summer, passed the classes, had a good fall at Penn State and then got to Nashville and started to stack some wins. It's interesting to me how much life momentum can be built through fitness. Right. Because yeah. I, I had this conversation with someone the other day, uh, an employee within the walls of my company. And he was like, I just want to, you know, feel like I have a little bit more rhythm or flow or control over my life. And I think fitness is a great area to start that in. I'm like, for sure, man, like no one controls if you wake up early or not to go to the gym. No one controls what you put in your mouth other than you. Right. So it's like, it's very interesting to me to hear you say how much of like your life momentum over the last decade was built just through a summer of trying to eat healthy, lose some weight and be a little bit more regimented and routined. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny the way that it clicked that summer, because truthfully, I've been really interested in fitness since I was a senior in high school. Um, my best friend and I, we did P90X and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was didn't? so into it. Um, and even all through college, like I was always in the gym, like getting in the gym was never an issue for me. It was more just that, like, I would allow the drinking to stack into really bad eating. Um, and like for the most part, like freshman, sophomore and junior year, like I was totally in fine shape. Um, like I wasn't healthy by my standards now, but like I was I was in fine weight. I was working out. 
Um, and I was doing, you know, the big 10 college thing, drinking four nights a week. So it was kind of headed in a direction that I probably couldn't keep up with. And it was really just that senior year. And I don't know, I was in a long distance relationship, like maybe that contributed to it in some way, you know, definitely like the stress around my home situation, definitely the stress around the fact that my grades were terrible. Um, you know, that all probably added to it. But when I got it back in the right direction that summer, like very, very important, obviously. Yeah. Uh, something I think I want to hit on here that we don't always get to talk about a lot. So I'd, I'd like to highlight it. It sounds like your relationship was so important for you with your girlfriend at that time. I'm just so interested in like what that dynamic was, because it seems like you're talking about all these different varying factors in your life. And she's kind of the one common denominator. And she has seen you through this whole journey. She's still with you now. So I'm just curious, you know, what that looks like, what she was saying at the time, like how, how that all uh, fit together. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No, great question. Um, yeah, so Chelsea is basically everything to me. Uh, she's the first girl that's ever loved me. Um, and I don't think that I had a lot of love in my life before Chelsea. Um, there was a girl that I was kind of chasing around for a while before that. And I was kind of like puppy dogging her, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I've talked about some of the stuff that I had going on with my family. Um, and I just personally did not feel like I was loved for just like who I was, right? Like everything related to the, my, my acceptance in the fraternity was all sort of about external things. Um, and then the other thing about it was like, I knew Chels rocked. <laughs> so I was like, I got to get my shit together if I want to keep this chick around. So it was like kind of the two of those things. Like one, you know, her just like loving me was everything to me. Um, and I wasn't willing to lose that, even though I had that, and I had still been dating Chels for about a year when that whole fraternity thing went down. So it wasn't like just the total flip of the switch, but she has been an enormously, you know, grounded piece of all parts of my life, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious, was there ever like an ultimatum or anything along those lines that you're like lowest point or when you weren't maybe being who you actually are today? Yeah, not really. No. Um, you know, I do remember when I told her I was kicked out of the fraternity and like in my mind, like, you know, the mind is so funny how it will play tricks on you. Like I was trying to downplay it. I was like, yeah, you know, because I was also kicked out with my roommate. So like it was like the two of us. But like the dynamic of it was crazy because because of my reputation and because of just like the audacious way that I was living it was almost like it didn't even matter that the other dude got kicked out. It was more about just like Dreyer got kicked out and Dreyer did this. Um, and what we did to get kicked out, like, I don't even think it's like the craziest deal in the world. Other people had done it. Like we were going to Home Depot and basically just saying that we were buying stuff for the fraternity, but we were just getting stuff for our apartment. And it was like the silliest stuff. Like we had like four, I remember one of the things to kind of highlight just the stupidness of it was like, we had four of the automatic Febreze fresheners and we got these little mounts, these little wall mounts. And in the, in the, in the square room of our college apartment, like the living room, we had them set up on timers. Like every five minutes, a different one would spit and it would just like miss this, you know, scented air. So it was just like really stupid stuff like that. And we were being unethical and we were being unhonest and we were stealing from the fraternity. Um, but in my opinion, there were much more egregious things that could have happened. But so like at the time I was like, oh, well, like we just went to Home Depot and got this stuff. And 
I just got kicked out, but like, I don't know, there's also a month left. And like the dude who I was kicked out with was kind of a low key dude, but like also at the same time, I don't know. So I remember her being like, uh, that's a pretty big deal <laughs> when I told her. Um, and like my mind was still just trying to say, you know, no, it's, it's, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. Um, but there was definitely never like an ultimatum. Our relationship has, has never really had like a big rock like that. Like we've always had really strong communication um, and we've always been, you know, supportive of each other. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, the reason I asked that is because it's, yeah, it's seen, it sounds like a lot of your relationships up until that point were very conditional, like mm -hmm. conditional love, right? It's like, if you do this, then I'll, then I'll love you. Or then I'll show you love, for example, with your father or like mm -hmm. with a fraternity. It's like, if you act like this, then everyone's going to love you. But when you finally find that person that's going to show you unconditional love, no matter what, uh, that's pretty special. So, um, I, I, it sounds like that was definitely a huge factor and you turning that around. So very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Like if I didn't have Chels, like all those things that I kind of mentioned about like Philly and kind of the awkwardness at home and the fact that there were still like, you know, people in the area or whatever, like it definitely would have gone a different direction if I didn't have her. And she's ultimately the reason that I went to Nashville and moving to Nashville was like incredible because I, you know, it probably, it might not have been the healthiest, but I could just straight up put up walls and be like, nobody that I fucking know lives here. <laughs> I am able to be here and I can start working and I can start, you know, regrounding myself in my own strengths, my own like, you know, skills and, and stuff like that. Um, and I can, I can start building a new life. Like that's straight up how I looked at it build a new environment, man. Like you yeah. get to build everything from the, you know, the ground up. Yeah. So how, when, when does this endurance event, this pursuit of like physical fitness and, and endurance, which is a huge aspect of your life. So when does this kind of start to take shape and take a more formative role in your life? Yeah. So like one of the biggest things that I look back on is like change and physical movement is always an enormous catalyst for me. So Chelsea and I, we had lived in Nashville for about three years, had an awesome time, loved it, but we're kind of feeling the call back to the Northeast where both of our families are from. So we moved to Philly um, and I moved to Philly. Uh, I started working downtown at a, at a corporate job in December of 2018. And right away, I was like, no shot. Is this what my life is just going to sort of become? Um, and so I bought my road bike in February of 2019. Um, the path to sort of getting interested in that was inspired by two things, really. One, hearing people on Rogan's podcast who had done crazy stuff like ultra endurance. And two was Adam. So Adam was also interested in triathlon and he was living in Philly um, or I don't even remember. He might have still been at Penn State irrelevant, but he was the friend that was also kind of interested in it. And so on Rogan's podcast, like I was hearing about people like Jesse Itzler and like Courtney Doe Walter and Cameron Haynes and then Goggins. And all of a sudden it's like, OK, like these people are speaking about their life with a zest that I do not feel in my life and that I feel I am capable of. So I'm going to get interested in this. And um, Adam's interest in, interest in it, you know, gave me some stickiness. And then I decided uh, in February that 2019 year that I was going to buy a road bike. And my big goal was to do a 70.3. So I was like, I just want to finish a half Ironman. It was literally as big as my mind could think at the time. Um, and everything has, has changed since I bought that bike.
So can you talk about that experience? I just read your most recent post on that, dude. I didn't know that to your goal of a 70.3, which at the time probably felt like everything to you. Uh, I didn't know you had a severe injury that delayed that so much. Can you just talk about that a little bit and what uh, dealing with kind of the volatility mentally that probably brought you? Yeah. So when I was living in Nashville, I was working for the Nashville Predators and I was playing in a beer league hockey team. Um, I played ice hockey growing up and I absolutely loved it. And getting back into hockey and playing was like so fun for me. Um, and when I moved back to Philly, my uncle was big into beer league hockey. So I was playing, I joined his team and I was keeping up with the hockey while I was starting to get into the triathlon training. So I bought that bike in February. I think that the race that I was going to do was in June and I was going to do like a, a tiny little sprint in April to just sort of get myself prepped and, and get onto the trajectory. And I think the race was on a Saturday and on the Wednesday before that race, I was playing in a beer league game and I snapped my ankle. Um, and it was the first time that I ever really had a crazy injury like that. I remember exactly how it happened. I remember going right to the bench and being like, this is not right. I remember walking to the locker room. Like I have never had something happen like this where it's not at least one, two, 3% better in a couple of minutes. Um, I remember I hopped in my car, you know, drove myself to the hospital and called my mom, called Chels. I forget exactly what the, what the deal was with who showed up, but I remembered uh, being in the hospital and I was just sitting in the, in the emergency room, kind of checking in, just like sobbing, like in my mind, you know, I had had this transformative experience where I had this rock bottom in college and I had spent that summer digging myself out, that fall digging myself out. I had gotten to Nashville. I had done all that crazy shit to figure out, you know, just making my way. I'd gotten a job with the Predators. I had been hitting my quota for three years like I had been making it, but I was still wanting more in life. And I found my thing that was going to give me more and I was on the cusp of acquiring it or at least making a massive point of progress on the way to acquiring it. And I felt like it was ripped out from under me. Um, and it's just hilarious to look back and, and kind of see that because now my perspective has just broadened insanely. Um, but at the time, you know, that was quite literally the, the most important thing and the best thing that could ever happen to me because that set up the biggest change in my fitness life. Um, so basically break the ankle. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm crying in the emergency room, but then I get through the system, right? I'm going in the back, I'm sitting in the bed, I'm in the room and I'm still in my mind thinking that I'm going to be able to race. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do great, but I'm going to fucking do this. Like, let's go I'm doing this thing. I hadn't had the x-rays, whatever. And so I'm talking with the lady and the lady says, um, so she just, you know, point blank is, is like, you're not going to be able to race. And like, I just remembered this back and forth where I'm just like, she has no idea who I am. I'm doing this shit. Uh, like Goggins long, would, like Goggins would, man. Yeah, but whatever. Long story short, I find out it's broken. I find out that it needs surgery. So it's not just, you know, I don't really know too much about the depths of, of broken bones and stuff like that. But it wasn't just like, oh, you need a couple of weeks off. It was like, you need surgery. And all of a sudden we were engaged and set to be married in October. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking with this surgeon um, at kind of like a pre-consult thing. And it becomes extremely apparent that even just dancing at my wedding is going to be an accomplishment. So I'm like, all of a sudden, like, fuck, okay, shit. 
So, you know, I'm in a tough spot, but I will say that just like the opportunity to work towards a 70.3 had shifted my mindset a lot over the previous few months. So I was very down in the dumps, but I was not going to really like completely give in. Um, so, you know, I was, I was on the shelf, right? I was completely non-weight bearing for, I think, eight weeks. Um, I then had surgery and then was in a boot for another eight or something like that. I forget the exact details, but I had bought like a home dip bar. I had my uh, adjustable dumbbells. Like I was committed to staying fit during that time. Uh, my diet had also started to improve. So I was leaning on that. But the really big change that happened is that being on the shelf and not being able to, to walk or do anything for eight weeks encouraged me to finally get surgery on a deviated septum that I needed fixing. So I was like a mouth breather for my entire life. I have horrible memories of suffering to breathe through Pop Warner football practice. Coach was just screaming at me. I never knew how to breathe. Um, and I got that surgery done. And so right at the time that I started to learn how to walk again, I learned how to breathe correctly. And so I'm walking around my neighborhood in Fishtown and Philly and, you know, just getting around a couple of blocks is progress for my foot and just walking around with only nasal breath is progress for my breath. And so all of a sudden I'm, I'm guided to making slow nasal breath progress while my ankle is healing up. And that just starts to stack right from walking around the block to eventually a light run to, to understanding, you know, this connection between breath and body that unlocks the spirit. And that ultimately was like a massive change for me in my understanding of my body and my mind. Um, and that set me up for, for a lot of the success that I've had since then I was able to dance at my wedding. My foot was killing me at the after party, uh, but we made it happen. And, and that was really like my insertion into endurance sports. Wow. Yeah. That's, but I haven't even raced then. So that's not really, I guess that's still just sort of part of it. Does that resonate with you at all though, Kev? Uh, maybe a little bit. I just ruptured my Achilles. Um, oh, like okay. A week, what, what a week and a half ago, but I, I feel like I've, I don't know. I, it, we're, we were like, we're at different points in our life. Um, like compared to where maybe you were when you broke your ankle and where I guess I am where, where I ruptured my Achilles. Yeah. Like I, it happened. I was like, this isn't like, it sucks, but it's not, I have such a great to your point about environment. Like the environment that I have around me is fucking ridiculous. Like the people that I'm around with on a daily basis, like that I do CrossFit with the people I work with my fiance, Alex, like, it happened. It sucked. And then I like immediately knew like, okay, well, like let's get on the road to recovery. And like, I know I have confidence in all the people around me are going to be able to like help me get there. So, um, yeah, I can definitely resonate though with the, like the traumatic injury aspect. Like this is the first truly like orthopedic type injury I've ever had. I've never broken a bone. Like I dislocated a finger once falling off my bike on the Schuylkill, which maybe you, you can relate to. I, I took a tumble, um, and stood up in my, like, my one finger was like 90 degree angle the other way, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, the people around you are so important. Um, when you, when, when something like that happens to you and so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. But to your, to your point about, okay, so you're at this low, you 
you are immediately, it seems like your, your mindset's just completely different at this point because you're at this low and you're already like, you got the dip bar, you got the dumbbells. Like what, what mental work do you think was like so important for you over that time period to just completely change you? Cause it sounds like even at that point, like you're a changed person. Yeah. Well, you know, I had some proof in success. So professionally, I had been doing well for a couple of years. So that really helped me um, overcome some of the lack of confidence stuff that was really rattled from the fraternity thing. Um, But then also, dude, like just having a race and a goal to work towards changed everything for me. Um, I have this, you know, I I really believe in the, the concept of having like a definite chief aim which is kind of just like a fancy way of saying a goal, a written goal, a clear definition of what you're working towards. Um, And I think that like in the times of my life where I didn't feel like I was making a lot of progress, didn't really have a good mindset, didn't have a lot of confidence, I always sort of look at it and I'm like, well, you had nothing that you were clearly going for. You were just trying to maintain. You were just trying to go to the gym five days a week and eat generally good and do generally good things. You didn't have an identified thing that was a marker of achievement. Um, So having that goal and committing to that um, was huge for me. I'll also probably just say that like financially, like investing in stuff to get into Ironman and to get into triathlon, like I had to put my money where my mouth was. Like I bought my road bike, it was 1,427 bucks. And I had never spent anything more than like 50 bucks on a gym membership or whatever it was. So like all of a sudden it was like, shit, I've got this financial pressure that is requiring me to, to back up this shit that I'm saying. I've then spent the money to get in. So like, let's go. This is time to do it. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and I also had, I had really like enjoyed it. Right. Like, even though it was really only February to April that I'd gotten the train, like, I think I literally only did like eight bike rides. Like I was really enjoying it. Right. Like I was enjoying being outside. I was enjoying seeing the world differently, like riding your bike, you know, you just get to experience nature in a different way than if you're just driving around like Valley Forge park back in Philly, like Colton, I know, you know, it, Um, like driving through the park and riding through the park, like, dude, it might as well be a different world. Um, and so I had really welcomed a lot of the just perspective shift that that brought. Um, but it was really, I guess those other things as well. We have some intimate knowledge of Valley Forge Park. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very intimate knowledge. Not only were our long bike rides involved there, but also we had many, many a long run on a Sunday. Dude, you you got stung in the back of the throat. Oh my God. You're right. You weren't even there, bro. And I, no. Dryer, listen to this. So I'm probably eight miles in, not to make this about me, but it's funny. Oh, story. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, so <laughs> I'm like eight miles in on a Sunday run. I have no idea where Kev is. I forget what you were doing that weekend with Alex, but I get a bee just flies into my mouth and stings me in the throat. So I'm freaking out because I can feel the stinger. And I'm like, hmm, I'm not really sure what I should do in my cars three miles from where I am. So I call my mom. I go, mom, do you think I can still finish this run? And she's like, are you out of your goddamn mind? So I call or sorry, I see someone on the middle of the road. I just flag them down and they drive me to the car. But it was, yeah. So Valley Forge is scary. I've gotten tripped by many fences there. Yeah, it's just like. It's a good proving it's got, ground. A lot it's of got my number. There. It's got my number, man. <laughs> Um, so what was crossing that finish line? Like, man, I, I, I saw that picture of you doing, was it the St. George one that you did? No, that was the picture that I just posted yesterday with St. George. Yeah. 
but that wasn't the the one that you were chasing when you did your first 70.3 right that was worlds no so i so there so so part of the reason that i feel like i've kind of exploded onto the triathlon scene is because of how long it took me to actually be able to eventually do a race yeah that's a good point <laughs> so that first race that i wanted to do was connecticut 70.3 and that was in june of 2019 didn't happen because of the ankle. And then by the time that I finally get healthy, then we're talking 2020 and nothing's happening. Right. So I think I had three different races. I think I was first going to do Lake Placid 70.3. Then that was deferred to North Carolina or Virginia 70.3. Yeah, it was Placid. Then it was deferred to Virginia 70.3. Then it was deferred to AC 70.3. And none of those happened throughout all of 2020. So in all of 2020, I'm doing, I'm training, right. The world is shut down every single weekend. Um, and, you know, to keep Chelsea into this, like she starts to get into it as well, because now nothing's going on. So we're spending every single weekend in 2020, shortly after we've gotten married, I've gotten healthy again, and we're just driving out to the suburbs in Wayne, Westchester, and we're just riding. It's all we got to do. Right. Um, so I'm training all year to do these 70.3s and none of these are happening. And so I find myself in August or so in the best shape of my life, mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, I've been stacking these wins for a while, but I don't have an opportunity to go ahead and unleash this power that I feel onto the world. I got no 70.3s going on. I'm like, come on, man. So all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on that I can do? That's like a big thing. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm doing an ultra marathon. And ultra marathon was never on my radar. I would have never thought that I was doing one, but all of a sudden I was just like, I want to race and I want to do something and I want to cross the finish line. Um, so I signed up for, uh, it's called, it was called water gap 50 K. It was in like the Pocono area, relatively the mountains in Northeast PA. Um, and it was a 50 K and it was on like early September, September 2nd or something like that. Um, what's a 50 K in miles? Is that 30 uh, it's like something? 31 miles? 30, 31. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I start training for that. So I guess it was a little bit before August that I would have decided to do that. So I start doing long training runs in Valley Forge park. I'm getting really big into trail running at this point. None of my triathlon training has been anything structured. It's just me thinking that I'm needing to swim, bike and run more, more, more. Um, but I'm really getting into road biking and I'm really getting into trail running. Those were like the two things that hooked me onto it. So running Mount Joy, running Mount Misery, like those were really, really powerful hours for me out there. Um, and so I get to Water Gap and I expect this to be like a true trail ultra, like how Mount Joy, how Mount Misery are. <laughs> and I get to the race and there's like three miles of that, of that type of like true single track type trail running. And then all of a sudden it just takes off on this flat sort of like gravel trail. That's like just straight up real running, which like for me at the time, like I would have way rather been out on the trails. Like we're doing some walking on the inclines. We're just doing a little bit more of a total body thing. All of a sudden I'm like, shit, I need to go run and I'm running and nothing's changing. So um, I really kind of grind through that. And I just remember with three miles to go, it was an out and back. So you know, very clear on, on how much he got left to go. And I just remember three miles to go. I, I just started thinking, I was like, I've done, you know, I've done so many three mile runs around my, around my spot in Fishtown. Like I'm fucking bringing this home and I start getting emotional. Um, and I just kind of feel just these waves of energy come through me that I'm just like, this is, this is what life is all about. Like 
working towards this, setting this goal, having the courage to do something like this, making the sacrifices along the way, getting to race day and bringing this all to life. Like this is my fucking moment right here. And so I crossed the finish line. My body was destroyed. I felt amazing though. Um, and then like to kind of make the enormous leap forward, you got to get to the next day. So we finished the race. It's awesome. Right. I'm so like, I'm, I'm in a place I've never been before. And I had a buddy who was also doing his first ultra that same day, he did a different race. And so it's the next day, it's Sunday, I guess. Um, maybe it was Monday. And I am sitting at my kitchen table in Philly and I'm talking to my buddy and he sends me this link to black forest, 100 K in four weeks. And like, I'm riding the high of just doing something that I'd never done before. And so I'm like, I'm in, we're doing it. And so we signed up for black forest and black forest. Like I'll say that, uh, water gap gave me the confidence to sign up for black forest and black forest broke my brain on what I was willing to try. Cause water gap was, you know, I had run a couple of half marathons super casually before, but you know, it's you show up, you race starts at seven, whatever you get metal at the end. Black Forest was totally different. Black Forest was a midnight start. It was a 63-mile race, 13,000 feet of elevation gain, and it had a 19-hour time cutoff with aid station time cutoffs throughout the entire race. And it was just like something that I had never even fathomed before. And so we went. I did it with my buddy. We did it as trail buddies, which was huge for me. And... I was still so into just like flooding my mind with people who think like this. So, you know, over these past couple of years, like constant Rogan episodes, constant, you know, people who do big shit. How do they talk about themselves? How do they think what's going on in their mind? And I got exposed to this ex Navy SEAL named Chad Wright. And Chad Wright has this mantra where he says, don't give pain a voice. And that was what I had locked onto for Black Forest. And that entire time, I was just like, if my ankle hurts, I'm not fucking saying it. I'm not saying my ankle hurts. If my knee hurts, I'm not saying my knee hurts. I'm just going to repeat positive affirmations to myself. I'm not going to let the negative voice in my head take control over my ability to cross this finish line. Um, and so the race starts at midnight. It's, of course, pitch black. <laughs> uh, and, and we just start busting ass. And we eventually cross the finish line. Uh, we make it happen. We finish with like around 20 or 30 minutes to spare. Um, and all of a sudden in my mind, I'm just like, I'm capable of anything. I can absolutely do anything that I set my mind to. I can do anything that I want. I'm capable of it mentally. I'm strong enough to be able to like say no to the other things in life that would take me away from making progress towards this. And I am officially limitless. That's kind of my mindset there. And so that's like the fall of 2020. Um, and I basically took that mindset as I transitioned back to looking to do triathlon in 2021 when the world opened back up. Um, so the first or, or so then I kind of jumping back to all of those deferrals. So those Ironman deferrals kept happening. And what we ended up doing was just kicking it way down the road. And I deferred to Boulder 2021. Um, which was in August, Boulder 70.3 in 2021, August. So it was all, all of those previous deferrals were like, oh, two months later, three months later, whatever. And clearly it just wasn't going that way. So kicked it way down the road, did these ultras. And now all of a sudden I enter 2021 
and I'll get to the carnivore and plant-based diet in a second. I enter 2021 and I, um, I've got this long-term goal again, right? So I've got this thing that's out on the calendar seven months away that I can always be making progress on. Um, and so that was a huge core theme for me. Um, I headed into that year. I decided to do this crazy diet challenge in January and February, where I ate only carnivore for the month of January, like dead strict, only drank water, didn't even have coffee, only used salt, only ate animal products. Um, and like leading up to that point, I'd obviously gotten in, in very good health with the, you know, I'd done the ultras and stuff and I was figuring out my nutrition, but even that fall, like I was still like my dessert, dude, like I was eating, I would eat an entire Turkey Hill cookie dough tub of ice cream, like the full half gallon. <laughs> so I still had like really gluttonous eating habits that had, that I had formed in my childhood, you know, related to some of that childhood stuff. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm close enough. I've been learning about nutrition. I've been doing these long rides, but I want to take my knowledge to the next level. So I did that carnivore challenge in January, and then I did a plant-based challenge in February. And my goal was that I'm going to have my blood work done and I'm just going to learn more about the body, right? Like I'm gaining so much knowledge from doing these things. And I'm like, I want to take this to nutrition. So I do the carnivore challenge. I do the plant-based challenge and the plant-based challenge, uh, was actually supposed to be me like getting, I was, I was kind of hope I was kind of thinking that I was going to have bad blood results, not as a result of plant-based, but as a result of the fake meat stuff. So I thought I was going to eat super clean, super, uh, you know, simple on carnivore. And I thought I was going to have good blood work as it, as carnivore people would say, right? Like I knew it wasn't going to line up with what your physician says, but I thought it was going to work out with the carnivore people. Then I thought I was going to go to the plant-based stuff. And I thought I was going to be having impossible burgers. And I thought I was going to show how like seed oils and how other processed ingredients are really bad for you. Um, but within the carnivore month, I started to talk to some people who were plant-based and I realized that I didn't actually need to eat that shit to keep my protein high enough. So the plant-based diet shortly before it switched to, I am only eating real food ingredients. And if it comes out of a package, it has to have single ingredients. So like the example I go with is like almond butter. Like it has to be only almonds. It can be almonds and salt, but like it can't be almonds and fucking sunflower oil and fucking added sugar and shit yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. So I got these two months where I'm not drinking and I'm not eating any processed shit. And these food cravings and these gluttonous eating habits that I had struggled with for most of my life vanished. And all of a sudden I was like, I have this complete control over my nutrition. My mind is in a different place than it's ever been before. And that really set me up to like eat super clean and be really clear with that. Um, worked up to doing a, an Olympic distance triathlon, which was my first race, which was in early June or something. Um, did that race and I did quite well. Um, again, I was still only training just by myself at that point. Um, but Chelsea did that race with me. So I guess like, I don't know, I'm kind of jumping around with where Chelsea got involved, but since we had been riding so much together in 2020, she decided that she was going to do Boulder as well, which was like an out of this world expectation or a goal for like her, the same exact way that me originally doing that was like crazy. Um, so we're working towards this and we're making progress together. We do this race and this is like, you know, it's so funny, like, you know, how some of the, the masculine mind works in the feminine mind. So I, I do this race and I come in like fourth in my age group and it, 
I was dead crossing the finish line, but like, I thought it was a big success. Chelsea did her race and she did awesome too. But her takeaway was I need a coach. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I think I can still do this. So Chelsea hires a coach right after that race. And I see her first week of training and I'm immediately like, I'm not doing anything like that. I need a coach. <laughs> this is so foreign from the training that I'm doing. Like, I am not doing anything right. Like this person knows what they're doing. We hired this coach. Her name was Cheyenne McGregor, somebody I met on Instagram. And it was like heart rate training and stuff like that. And immediately I'm just like, okay, this is so different than me just going and saying, I'm going to run five miles today. So Chelsea and I both get synced up with our coach that was in June or so. And we've got our sights set on doing Boulder 70.3 in August. Um, and I guess, you know, at this point, I've been doing this for a while, right? So it's like my original goal was just to finish. But, you know, I, all this stuff had happened and all these things had taken place. And I had just been in the fight for a while now that all of a sudden my mind is like, just finishing. I'm like, dude, I just did Black Forest. I can finish anything. <laughs> so now all of a sudden I'm starting to think performance-based. And even though my training on my own wasn't really like structured in the way that training should be, I was still training and making a lot of progress. So when I synced up with this coach, all of a sudden it was like, you know, I'm coming off of a decent starting point. Um, so my goal was to qualify for Worlds. I was like, I think I can do it. Um, and the world qualification, you know, there's no specific time. It depends on how the race unfolds and how people go in your age group. So I wasn't super tied to it, but I was just like, I think this can happen. And I think I can go sub five. I think I go under five hours at Boulder 70.3. So I guess I'm kind of going like full story here. So we have this, uh, we have this race coming up and my wife, Chelsea, her aunt lives out here in Boulder. And so Chelsea had been coming here, you know, around once a year for, you know, her whole life, essentially. And Chelsea and I had been together for five, six years or something at that point. So I had been coming out here for, you know, around once a year or so for that period of time. And so we knew we liked Boulder and we were super big into the triathlon stuff. And we were definitely itching to not live in Philly anymore. Like living in the city was extremely, there was, there was so much friction to do what we had come to love to do, right? so we get an airbnb for about five weeks leading up to this race we get out here and on the first day we're like we should move here <laughs> on the third day we're like i'm serious about that like are you serious about that <laughs> and on the fifth day we called our realtor and we're like we're selling the fucking philly house so that was like a huge pivotal point, I guess, when you think about the scope of where I'm at now, like us getting out here to Boulder, us living out here before that race, um, you know, we started to pull the trigger and that was a little over a year ago now. So uh, I guess getting back to just the race stuff, I'm, you know, of course, living out here, uh, leading up to the race, we're training and um, race day just, just goes really great for me. I have a really strong swim, 32 minutes or so. I have the bike ride of my, of my life. I ride like 22.6 miles an hour. Um, I still am like on the super basic triathlon stuff. Like I'm on a road bike with aero bars. I got no power meter. I'm just going off a heart rate, um, push it super hard on the bike. And I hold on just long enough on the run. And I finish in 458.15 and qualify for worlds. And so Chels finished too. And Chels, I remember I was waiting for her at the finish line. The first words out of her mouth were, I cannot believe I just did that which was just so cool to see somebody in real time going through like a similar experience to what I have been going through. 
Um, so I qualified for worlds. That was August worlds was in September. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to worlds. So I, I accept, uh, the qualification and somewhere along that timeline, I had also decided to sign up for Ironman Indiana, which was in October. So it was like that stretch of eight or nine weeks, you know, I did Boulder qualified for worlds. I went to St. George. I had an awesome race. My big goal for St. George was like, I want to really finish the run strong. I felt like I had just, I was way too on E at, uh, at Boulder. Um, so worlds was great. I finished the run so strong. I had this like insanely transformative experience with like five miles or so to go on the run in St. George. I was feeling strong, holding my own, whatever. And all of a sudden, um, this, this like 40 some year old woman comes up beside me and I look at her and all of a sudden, like I recognize her from Boulder and Boulder on the run, there was this out and back stretch. And I just remembered being out on that. And I remembered seeing people that looked so much better than I felt. And this woman happened to be one of them. Uh, she's like this pretty attractive, like Swedish woman or something. So she just kind of caught my eye. So all of a sudden I see her at worlds and I'm like, let me see if I can kind of hang with this chick for a second or two. So I start running with her and there are some people who are like cheering this woman on. So I'm like, she kind of must be a decently big deal. Like I saw her crushing it at a boulder. She's obviously here at worlds. Like she's got to be something sort of, you know, she's got something going on. So all of a sudden I'm keeping up with her. Right. And then the, the world's run is so undulating. You got climbs, you got descents. It's crazy. And that's the type of running that I really thrive on. So like anytime that she might've been a stronger runner, like on a flat, like, she might get a, a couple steps ahead of me, but like I was able to then catch up and hold my own with her. So like we ended up running lockstep, lockstep for the final five miles. There are some pictures of us uh, coming down the finish line. And it's like, you know, when you're running next to someone and you guys just get in absolute dead sync with the motions, like your arms are going at the same time, your feet are striking at the same time. Like we had that and we crushed the end of this run the world's run ends on a super big descent. So our final mile times were like sub seven, I think like just unheard of stuff for me. Um, and we crossed the finish line and she's like, you pushed me. I'm like, you pushed me. So like we had this big kind of embrace. Her husband was waiting there. Chelsea was right there for me. And so like, not only am I doing these crazy big things, but I'm starting to develop the, not develop these relationships. Like I, like I knew that person at all, but I'm starting to have these experiences with people where it's like, I start to sort of have like these serendipitous moments that start to pop up and it's all by like subjecting myself to doing something hard, doing something challenging and just pushing myself and putting myself in the position to have something special happen. Um, so that was kind of a big thing for me that, that, that moment and that finish. Um, it was only a couple of weeks. I think it was two weeks after that, that I did Ironman Indiana. Um, that was a, a huge grind, obviously your first Ironman, you guys know that. <laughs> um, but I finished and yeah, at that point, I guess, you know, I felt like I could definitely still do anything reverting back to the, the, the black forest feeling, um, you know, throughout this whole time, like there's so many different levels to this story, but this whole time I had been working from doing my initial side hustle of selling dog bandanas to once I got the nutrition stuff down with the carnivore and plant-based diet and all the stuff I had figured out through endurance training, I had started to do some online coaching for mainly fitness and weight loss type stuff, really like gen pop coaching. Um, and I had some success with some early clients, but I kind of realized that, you know, I didn't really enjoy working with, you know, I didn't really have the experience 
uh, coaching wise to really help people through like the emotional needs of weight loss and habit change and shit like that. Like I figured it out for myself, but like for people who, you know, wanted to lose 50, 60 pounds, you know, I can help you, but I, I don't know that I'm set up to, to bear the brunt of that work. Right. Like that's a lot on you. Um, and so I was doing that type of coaching, but then I was also doing the endurance training. So then I all of a sudden had a couple of people start to come to me and say, I, I want to learn from you. Like, I see what you're doing about your recovery. I see how you're doing your nutrition. I see how you're doing your training and I want to learn from you. Um, so that was all kind of going on at the same time. I had helped a guy, Louie, do his first ultra. I had started an online men's group with, that was more like personal development type coaching. And one of those guys wanted me to do triathlon coaching for him. And that was in September of 2021. So a little over a year ago. And so then I was doing these races too, right? So there's like validation, right? Like I'm teaching, but I'm also in the arena doing it. Um, and so that was all about a year or a little bit more than a year ago. And since then, that trajectory has just continued. And that's ultimately what's brought me to the spot that I am today. I've done two Ironman. My team has now expanded to 18 athletes that I'm coaching. I got my third Ironman coming up next week, Ironman Florida, and I've got seven athletes that I'm going to be doing it with. So there will be eight of us total that are going to the starting line. <laughs> I, I, it's amazing to me, man, how happy you seem in telling that story. You know, like uh, you just seem very genuinely grateful, excited about like all your pursuits. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'm curious on something about business. Kevin, and I kind of have an interesting perspective where we're kind of still in the corporate environment, you know, and I think it works for us and our lifestyle and what we want to achieve through that vehicle. I'm curious to you, how do you feel about making, uh, I mean, again, take, take the question how you want, but how do you feel about making a pat, like your passion, uh, a business? Like, do you feel like that is better for you? Cause you definitely, I mean, I, I think Gary V talks about that, right? Like make your passion in your business. You'll never work a day in your life. Do you subscribe to that idea? Yeah, I mean, I think that you got to be passionate about what you're doing. And I think passion is a huge reason why I even started my first side hustle. Like, I was somebody who was completely unpassionate about the work that I was doing in my corporate job. But like, I'm also a with it dude. So like, I could succeed relatively easily. Like I was in sales, like, yeah, obviously, you got to work hard to do well. But like, for the most part, it wasn't that difficult for me to succeed. And so I was really stuck in the situation where like I'm succeeding and everybody in my life is telling me that I'm doing well. My boss is telling me I'm doing good. I'm getting promotions. Everybody in my personal life is seeing that I've got this fancy LinkedIn title and I'm working in center city, Philly, and I'm, you know, doing the thing that you got to do. But like I had this internal conflict that it was just like, I don't know, man, I see people like Cameron Haynes. And I'm just like, that's a cool life, man. I don't know. Why couldn't I go live that? Like, why am I stuck doing this? And when I think back to like, the fact that in like my childhood and through college, like I didn't have the confidence to go step out and pursue something that I cared about and that I wanted to explore and that I just simply had interest in. Um, you know, Gary V was the reason that I started my side hustle. I listened to two Gary V podcasts. And by the second podcast, I had started the Instagram for the business that I would create. Um, and so for me, like, if you, you know, I think about it, like the hero's journey, right? Like the hero is somebody who fixes something in themselves, and then teaches others how to do the same. And when you think about a passion, 
everybody's passion, you know, if you're pursuing something, it should be full of progress. So you should be solving things within yourself. You should be making accomplishments that should improve the person that you are. Right. So that I think is like the crux of, of my divergence between side hustle and then business. Yeah. uh, So it sounds like you start building the side hustle while you're still at your corporate job. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, staying, you know, finding stability in that corporate job and slowly building that side hustle and then leaving, which it sounds like is maybe the the path you took versus taking that giant leap. Cause I've heard, you know, differing opinions on both. Like, do you regret not just taking the leap sooner or what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. So I've got this like overarching belief in my life that everything that happens to me is the best thing that ever can happen to me. And I force myself to view anything that happens to my life through that perspective and specifically through the perspective of time. So anytime that I think something could have happened earlier or I'm begging for something to happen sooner, whenever I get to that point that I actually accomplish it, I recognize that I needed the additional time to earn, to learn the additional lessons. So like the world's example would be a a good example. Like if I had just gotten to do that first 70.3 in Connecticut, a year and a half earlier, I wouldn't have had the ex- even a quarter of the experience that I had by waiting longer and being in it longer and then getting to do that Boulder 70.3. Um, so when I think about that in terms of a side hustle, like first thing for me is that like I needed to keep doing well at my job. Like I'm a winner. Like I don't, I would not be comfortable if I wasn't succeeding at work. So like first and foremost is like, you got to make sure that you're doing well. But then I just started to like give all of my time and attention outside of work to building something and just making a little bit of progress. Um, And I say all of my time and attention, but like in reality, it doesn't need to be like this, you know, you don't need to be up from 8 p.m. to midnight every night. It's more about just like staying consistent in it and making a little bit of progress every day. And like for me personally, the first side hustle that I started was literally learning to sew dog bandanas and selling them on Etsy. And it just gave me life that I did not have. Like, am I crazy passionate about dog bandanas? Like I thought they were cool and I thought it was interesting enough to start a side hustle with it, but it was more about having like a creative outlet, you know, probably something like you guys resonate with having this, like you have this. So you have something to breathe life into, to learn through, to gain discipline through. And like my side hustle journey, you know, I eventually did leave my corporate job and along the way, you know, I was totally like, I want to do it soon. I want to go. When is it going to be ready? But there were a couple of strings of events that, that kind of led up to me eventually making that jump. And I think that that entire kind of succession or progression was really important. So I don't know. I think the original question was just on like leaving it or doing it separately. But I mean, I think that everybody should have a side hustle. I think that making $500 on the internet a month will change your life. And I think that most people don't recognize the opportunity that we have on the internet. And if you think about what I'm doing now, like I just got interested in triathlon and I just decided that I wanted to do it and it stuck for me. And then I started to help people do the same. Like people might see that I've got, you know, a team of athletes now, but I've got an article on an old blog that I wrote where I was just talking about building a community of, of people who like cycling. And like that first year, like I was so pumped that I just had like five or six friends who decided to buy bikes because of me and they saw what I was doing. And they were like, damn, Dryer's, Dryer's fucking riding his bike 20, 30 miles. Like he's wilding out and he looks like he's having a great time. Um, and so it's been like a big progression of that, but people need passions. Um, and I just, I wrote an article this morning on, I guess, like the three things that I think that you need to find your passion, because most people that I talk to, they're like, I don't know what I'm interested in. I don't know what my passion is. 
And so uh, this was kind of something that I'm reading this book and I sort of recognize this as a theme, but I think that like number one is you need a mentor and that can be a paid coach, but it can also just be somebody who you want to emulate or who you inspire towards. So like for me, like those early people on Rogan were a big deal, like following Jesse Itzler, following Cam Haynes, Courtney Dowalter, like those were kind of my guiding lights. So number one is mentor. Number two is mission. So it's like something that you believe in. So for me, it was like the health changes that I was making, like I believed so deeply in them, like they were making transformative impacts in how I saw the world, how I saw myself and how I thought. And I wanted to kind of speak that into existence. And then number three is a motto. So it's three M's mentor mission motto. And my motto was just that I keep my word to myself. That's what I do. This is who I am. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it. No, if, ands, or buts about it. Um, I think that Goggins is keep hammer or Goggins is uh, stay hard and campaigns is keep hammering. Those are like good mottos that you can attach to. I've definitely leaned on those at some point, but um, when we're talking about passion and creating a side hustle, like I love business. Like I love it. I have wanted to be an entrepreneur my entire life. I have flyers from when I was shoveling driveways in the snow when I was a kid. I would go door to door trying to, you know, weed my neighbor's gardens. I worked at a golf course and I got tips and I was like the notorious hustler. Like I have always loved making shit happen for myself. Um, And so now like this is just my evolution of it. Yeah, I love that. So with now that you've separated from your corporate job, you're all in on your own business. What do you what's the biggest struggle for you now that you've you know, you're solely focusing on, on this aspect. So the biggest thing that I like grapple with is like, you know, in my mind, I have this constant desire to want to make the business better, make the business more sustainable, make more money. Right. Right. Um, But what I really force myself to do is just like focus on the product. Like I have athletes who are in my coaching community who are learning from me. And the more that I feed into them and the more that I improve the value of my service, the more that I have new clients just coming my way. So that's really how I try to focus it. I mean, now that I'm an entrepreneur, like I'm extremely cognizant of my mindset and my mental state. So like my routines are very important to me, you know, how I spend my morning, how I kick into the day, how I schedule my day, like where I allocate my times for calls, how I allocate time to be creative. Like it's very important for me to, you know, the way that I could just roll into my cube job and just sort of like, stumble into success by sitting there and drinking a couple of coffees or doing whatever, like there's no, you know, maybe I could have success that way, but I would not feel good about it in my own business. So that's like the biggest, those are the biggest focuses for me. Is there anything you're struggling? Like you just seem so genuinely happy to me right now. And I I love that. um, What do I say? I love that energy and attitude, but I mean, I know for me when I'm happiest, like sometimes the next couple of days, like are the down days, right? So like, is there anything you're working on from like a mentality standpoint that you're struggling with? I know Kevin and I were kind of talking about it earlier in this year, like two things we wanted to work on is how do you have better internal dialogue with yourself? Like that's probably something for me a little bit more than it is for Kev and like Kev's is maybe how do you stay a little bit more present instead of chasing these goals or reflecting back on negative experiences? So those are our two like, I don't know if you call them personality traits, but like mental things we're working on. Is there anything that you feel like is a hindrance for you mentally that you're, you're trying to work through? Yeah. So there are a couple of things that like, I really focus on one is like, I'm extremely cognizant of how I speak to myself. So like, I do not say that I can't do something, especially if it's something that I'm trying to get better at. Um, 
And another thing is that like, I try to, I try to be present. So I try not to uh, imagine future troubles. So I try not to think about, you know, what's going to be the issue in a couple of weeks with the business when it's at this point, like I try to very much like live in the now on it. Um, that was leading me to whatever I was going to say, but I just blanked on what the initial question was. Sorry. So you can say it again. Basically, I mean, a high level, what are you struggling with mentally, right? There's so much good shit going on in your life. You're out in Colorado. You're, you're married. You have a beautiful dog. You guys are building a family. You're doing Ironman. Like you got a business. Like, what are you struggling with? Like what, what's hard for you? Like when you're, when you're sad, like what are you dealing with mentally that, that is causing struggle? Yeah. So it's all for me, you know, I struggle with a lot of things. So like, I, it means a lot to me. I, I really appreciate that you say that you recognize that I, I seem like I'm, you know, radiating happiness or I've got some good energy coming out of me. And it's because I've filled my life with things that matter to me. And I've had the confidence to say no to things that are not important to me or that take from my energy. So I'm super like cognizant of like where my attention is spent. But in terms of like what I struggle with, so I struggle with just feeling good about the business. Definitely. <laughs> um, I'm pretty confident for the most part in like my training type stuff. Um, I still have some doubts that I have to overcome. Like I just had a call with my coach the other day and it's like, I'm kind of doubting, you know, my ability to like really dig deep at the end of the race. Like I, I see people finishing and just sort of like going sicko mode with themselves. And it's like, I've been able to like endure, but I have a doubt that I'm able to really dig deep and really like unleash that warrior spirit within me when it gets really hard at the end of a race. So that's something tangible. But I think that like day to day, dude, just like doubting that my business is going to keep succeeding. Like I have doubts all the time. <laughs> like if I don't, if I'm not, if I'm not bound and that's why the routine stuff is so important to me. Like I'm on this writing streak where I've been writing and publishing for 80 some straight days. Like that's something that I've like inserted into my life where it's like, I know that I need to keep putting stuff out and it's not so much just like out into the void or out onto social media, but it's just like, I need to keep creating and I need to keep taking action. So I have a lot of things that are set up in my life where I'm taking action. Um, but the biggest things that like, I, I, I just like feel a lot of doubt on are a thousand percent around my business. You know, it's just like, if I haven't acquired a new client in a month or two, all of a sudden, you know, I talked about how I'm focused on product. All of a sudden my mind will be like, dude, you got to start putting out more testimonials. You got to start talking to more people. And it's like the business has worked just because I've been so in it, but like, I don't have a lot of business systems set up. Like I have an email list that I've made, but like, I don't have an email sequence that people get into when they sign up. I don't have a consistent newsletter going out. Like I don't really have any kind of new client acquisition protocol. Like I've kind of just gotten clients by just natural, you know, interest in what I have going on. And so day to day, it's like, I'll finish a day. And some days, like I'll sit down with Chelsea and I'll just be like, I feel like I didn't get anything done today. Like, I feel like I didn't do anything. Um, so like one exercise that I do, and I don't do it all the time, but like, I'll just sit down at the end of the day and I'll just write down all the things that I did. What did I do? And all of a sudden it's like, dude, you did fucking 12 things today. What the hell are you talking about? Like, why do you think you need to do anything? Um, and so I think that like, it's super important to recognize that like, I have doubt, I do have doubt, but I have really learned to combat it. Um, the first iteration of my coaching program, I called the school of self-belief and self-belief is, is just like, that's the biggest thing that's been instilled in me in this entire process. Um, and so I kind of, 
push and pull right between the self-belief and the doubt. And then I've got some action steps that I like to take. Um, but you know, I feel doubt all the time. And my goal each day is like, I want to make sure that I'm doing things that make me stop doubting my ability. Yeah. I have a uh, quick, quick aside. Have you ever read the book endure by Alex Hutchinson? Oh, it's so funny, dude. So I got that book and I'm like 50 pages in, but I I'm right at the point where like, I can't really, I'm not, I'm not hooked into it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a super data driven guy. So like, I love books like breath by James Nestor or like why we sleep by, um, oh man, who is it? Uh, Walker. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that's that, so book, that book is in, in my back. That's so right funny. That book is you know, I, I was like, mind haven't blown, read it yet. <laughs> mind blown by some of the studies in there that are around like, you know, you both you look at the world class marathoners at the end of a marathon. Like, let's just say it's two people. Like, what's the difference at the end? Because it's like it's, it's not really physical many of the times. Like it's it's like it's just this mental aspect towards the end and like who has that edge um is so important and there's just there's just so much, i'm super data driven so I, I love I looks like that he like, reads those like, and yeah. just gives gives the information yeah give it a give it a chance but if you're not a data driven guy then maybe the book won't hook you in too too well um but no i, I am pretty data driven but i don't know i uh I, I have not given up on it but i am getting close to the point where it's like i don't know if you read 50 or 70 pages and you're not into it maybe it just ain't for you but no i um you know i like to learn a lot so that's been a huge part of this whole process too is like learning from people and i've read a lot of books on that type of stuff um just to acquire knowledge and not force myself to just try harder more mm -hmm. about like trying different things like that's been a big thing for me like reading atomic habits was huge um oh, understanding you know small little stuff like that has, has really been like those have been big catalysts for me yeah i one quick question what what's one piece of advice you would give to any new person who wants to go on you know, an entrepreneurial journey, just knowing your path. And then a uh, second question, follow that up is what's one horrible piece of advice that you continue to receive uh, <laughs> as you go out through this journey? Because I feel like there's very common uh, themes from people. Yeah. So I'll start with um, one piece of advice. So, you know, the biggest thing is that you have to start, but people don't really understand what that means to start. Like they don't know how to do it. They, how do I start? I don't know my passion. Like even Gary Vee has said that he's like, when people ask me how to find my passion, he's like, he says that he doesn't know. Um, and so for me, I think that it's like, you want to find your, your passion, but even more importantly, I think you want to, you want to find conviction and confidence. So like, it doesn't matter what your individual effort is on an entrepreneurial journey. What matters is that you find the conviction in something and you find the confidence in yourself to start. So like, you know, my first side hustle, you know, when I look back on it now, it's like, none of the value of that was actually monetary. Like the business didn't really make money. <laughs> like, all the value of that was me exercising the discipline of making progress every day and acquiring the skills, like just learning the process of learning new skills, right? So like for that first business, it was like, oh my God, I got to set up an Etsy page. I got to learn how to sew. I got to go buy materials. Now all of a sudden I want to do a Shopify page. Now all of a sudden I want to start putting shit on Facebook. Now I need to mail stuff. Now I want to progress from me selling it individually to me designing it and having an international manufacturer. Now I want to get it off of Shopify and sell fulfillment to having it on Amazon FBA. And now I want to, so it's like this stacking of skills 
And it doesn't matter about the business. What matters is the skills. <laughs> so the business is the vehicle to acquire the skills. And if you talk to any entrepreneur, I think that most of them would say that their first effort isn't what took off. And it's the same for me. My first business, it was called Toasted Rye. It was this dog bandana business. My second coaching thing started to be weight loss coaching, the school of self-belief. My third thing started to be triathlon coaching and endurance coaching, right? So it's like, you don't need to find the idea that's going to take off. You need to find an idea that you're confident enough in that you will start to take action with so that you can start to acquire skills because it's all about skill development. Um, one piece of like bad advice. Um, I think that I don't necessarily know that it's bad advice that's given, but like, I guess, I guess I just gave the example about how I don't really have all those backend systems figured out. Right. So it's like, you don't need the email sequence and you don't need the perfect funnel and you don't need the free PDF that puts somebody into your funnel. Like, yes, all of that stuff will help, but what you really need, and I guess this is directly related to a client service business, you need clients and a single client is so much more valuable than a big sequence that can unload 50 clients into you. Because in reality is you can't even bear the load of demand that would, that would come in from that, right? So taking each client and, and being so deep into like asking them, what is working? What are you getting value out of in this? What is not working? What's a waste of time? Like that's one of the biggest focuses of mine over the past like three to six months is like just getting so drilled into the details of my actual clients because that's the actual business, right? Like some people will like a lot of entrepreneurs will like talk shit on like you don't need a logo and you don't need a name and you don't need an LLC. And like on one hand, I think that that stuff is true. Like you don't really need that. But at the same point, like I created a logo, I created an LLC, and these were like sort of like steps to get me to where I am now. So, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is just actually having a client and figuring out a business and working with that person um, and not then all of a sudden being like, I have one client now I need to get two more. It's more like, no, I have one client. I need to give every single thing that I have to make that person succeed so that they go tell three of their friends, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I totally agree. I think those, those points you brought up around like do it, the logo, the LLC, like those are, those are kind of uh, pieces of commitment that are, you know, pushing you a little bit further. So like, once you have that there, it's almost the plane lifting off the ground. It's like, okay, you're in the air now. Like you got to figure this shit out now. Um, yeah. So. And I mean, everything is like about like, it's, it's this entrepreneurial journey that I've been on has been 1000% about just breaking beliefs that are holding me back. And so like, if making a logo and making an LLC is going to break the belief, you know, for me, like, I think it broke the internal belief that I wasn't an entrepreneur. <laughs> like I, I made these things and I had to figure out, you know, hiring somebody to do it or whatever. And it's like, there's value in that stuff. And so like one of the atomic habits points is like, these are all votes of confidence of who you want to become and who you are. So what's next for you, man? Like if you come back on this podcast a year from now, what is, uh, what are we toasting to? Like what's on the horizon? What goals are you chasing? 
Yeah. So I got a couple of different goals. Um, my, my, my like personal training goal is that I want to qualify for Kona. So, you know, Kona is, uh, the full distance Ironman world championship. I'd love to do that. Um, every single Ironman that I've done, I've said, I'm going to do that. And I'm over two. <laughs> I've said, I'm going sub 10 and I've gone over 11. Uh, so we'll see Ironman Florida this week. Um, I definitely believe that I can do it. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep working towards that. Like that's kind of my North star. Um, for business, I want to have my first 50 K month, um, in 2023. Um, and I set like, you know, that's a, that's an outrageous goal. Like I haven't even had a 10 K month yet. Like I've had close very, I've gotten super close like three times. Um, but I believe very deeply in the power of the internet and the power of monetizing your skills. And so right now, like, uh, you know, I think about it, like, where was I a year ago? A year ago, I just had a couple of guys who I was training for triathlon who were doing like their first sprints. That's all it was, right? And I've grown it since then. And now I have, you know, a year later, I have seven 70.3 finishers, um, even a couple 70.3s that are non-Ironman branded. And I'm, I've got seven guys that I'm about to take to become Ironman finishers next week. So I think about like, where can I be in a year from now? And I really love Alex Hormozzi. And one of his things is like, what would you do if you... What would you do if you 10x your goals, right? What would you do if you're, what, what would you do if you 10x your goals? So, um, that's where kind of that 50 K number comes from. And like my specific action step to get there is a couple of different things. One is that I'm going to be opening up uh, tribal training to a paid community for people who are not exactly my one-on-one athletes. So right now I've got this online community. I've been building it in discord and it's been all people that are paying me, you know, significantly to be their direct one-on-one coach. But in the building of my business and my brand and my personal brand, like there are a lot of people that I've come into contact with who can learn from me and who want to learn from me but who aren't totally interested in one-on-one coaching. So I'm going to be opening up tribal training to a monthly membership. Um, and I, I think that that can be an enormous catalyst. Like, you know, like I've got eight people that are going to, you know, it'll be eight of us total from the tribal training team that are racing at Ironman Florida. And I think it's, re- I think it's possible to have 20, 30, 50 people at a race next year. Maybe it's a 70.3, but like, I think it can explode. Um, The other thing that I'm working on with that is like, I hosted my first training camp out here in Boulder uh, in September. Um, So like piecing in different revenue streams and different opportunities to make money is really valuable. Um, Like one concept that I've really latched onto is, you know, and I'm kind of going at it from both ends here with the, the membership opening up and whatever, but it's like, it's not so much more about like acquiring new clients. It's about how can I maximize the value of my current clients and how can I like create a new value prop for them that would make them buy in more to the business. So my first training camp was a good opportunity or a good example of that, right? Like these guys are paying me a couple hundred bucks a month to coach them, but the camp is, is significantly more. Right. Um, and so that's just like one way that I'm trying to push the revenue of it. Um, but like, I don't know to circle back to all of it. And, and kind of one of the questions that you had, you said earlier, Colton, but it's like, I really try to remind myself that like, I'm doing what I, what my goal is. Like I'm living it. Like I live in, I moved to Boulder. (laughs) I live in Colorado. I can go to the mountains whenever I want. I've got a yard. The dog can go hang out in there. Like I have a business. I have clients. I have something I can make progress on. I can pay all my bills. Like I internally have this like constant desire and, and kind of like reach for more and more and more. And so I'm constantly trying to pull myself back into just saying like, dude, like make sure that you can appreciate this because 
what you've built is incredibly special. And if the old you knew where you were now, they would think that this is an unheard of success. That was powerful, man. I appreciate you saying that. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, what's so I have built place? my entire, what's that? I said, what's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm active on the socials, but I have built my entire business on Twitter. So Twitter is the, the best place to, to grab me. Um, I've got a website as well that's got a little bit more info on like my coaching programs. And I've got a couple of articles up there. Um, I, I am active on Instagram as well, but I, I don't really use Instagram um, as like a, a real business driver. Um, so I'm not constantly pumping stuff out there that's that's just as consistent as Twitter. So those are the couple of places um, to, to find me. What's uh, what's your Twitter? We'll obviously put this stuff in the bio, but what's your Twitter handle and what's your website? Yeah, the Ryan Dreyer is my Twitter and Instagram and my website is www.traintribal.com train tribal that has a ring to it Damn. <laughs> yeah man i appreciate it we appreciate you coming on the show brother um i hope you have a great rest of your sunday and thank you again yeah dude thank you guys for having me i really appreciated this we've gotten into some stuff that i haven't chatted on before in podcasts so hopefully this uh this hits and i don't know i feel like i did a lot of talking but i guess that's kind of the point if you're a guest. that's, that's the, the point. point man <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. it was great meeting you man thanks for chatting yeah sweet See take it easy guys thanks so much